I want to give you a, a movie line. What movie is this from? Do you trust me? Aladdin. Yes, Aladdin. Ha yeah, I was hoping someone would know that. It's when uh, Aladdin's on the, the magic carpet and the, she, he's like, tells Jasmine, come on, hop on. And, and she's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, do you trust me? And hold, holds her hand out. Yeah, so trust. Uh, but what happens later is that actually Aladdin loses her trust. She, he says, do you trust me? She says, yes, gets on the magic carpet. Later on, uh, he loses trust with her because she realizes, discovers, oh, actually, he's not who I think he is. He was presenting uh, somebody to her and to other people that this isn't who he actually is. And every day we trust people and things. The chair you're sitting in, you sat on it, trusting that it would hold you up. Your car, well, maybe this could be, uh, depends what kind of car you have, but you trusted it to get you from where you were to here, and at least you trusted it wasn't going to blow up uh, while you are doing so. Uh, you trust your employer to pay you. You trust NICOR to get you your gas. You trust ComEd to get you your electricity. Uh, the po you trust the post office to deliver your mail and to deliver mail you send out to others. And to a certain extent, you trust people while you're driving on the highway because we aren't normally thinking these people are going to ram into me or they're going to be, you know, we typically trust people to, which is crazy, we drive alongside people at 79 mile, miles per hour. Wait, I shouldn't have said that. That's how fast I drive. I don't know how, I drive 70. Sorry, at 70 miles per hour, we all drive with other people on the road. But even though we have to trust people every day, most of us actually have some trust issues that maybe we've gotten burned by somebody. Maybe we trusted somebody with something really uh, personal about us and then they shared it with somebody else or they later took it and used it against us. And in some ways we've learned the hard way that we can't really trust everyone. And so I want to give you just a, a, a minute or two to share with the people next to you, how do you know if you can trust someone? What would tell you that this person is trustworthy? And so I'll give you just a minute or two to share with the people around you, the person next to you, or you might have to turn around, have groups of three. So what, how do you know if you can trust someone? What would tell you that you can trust this person? So let's share some of uh, 
What are some things you guys came up with? How do you know if you can trust someone? Time, you learn to trust hmm. Over time, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because right when you meet them, it's like you're figuring it out still. Yeah. Yeah. Track record, yeah. So that could be the time thing. If you've known somebody for five years and you're like, well, the track record is this. Yeah, you know, you know you can trust them. Yeah, with that thing. Yeah, any other ways we know we can trust someone? They're wearing like a uniform, like they're a police officer, or if they're like, Oh, they, they look like they work here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, someone at Best Buy, you would assume, yeah. is knowledgeable if they're wearing a Best Buy shirt. So you know what I, I, that wasn't, I wasn't meaning that to be a joke. So, so that's really, that was funny. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Best Buy. <laughs> yeah. We said it's built. Built, yeah. So yeah, the overtime, track record, it's built. Yeah. Prompt. They keep the promises. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so these are all really good answers as we look going to Exodus thirty-four, six, and seven. Um, that uh, we're doing these six weeks uh, of Advent in this series, now in flesh appearing, uh, and looking at okay, this is what uh, the, all these songs. You know, the soundtrack for this time of year is all these songs about Jesus or God became flesh in the person of Jesus that God is now in flesh appearing to us, coming as a little baby 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. And Jesus is called God with us, Emmanuel, that, that word, we just saying that, Emmanuel, God with us. But the question is, which God? And the claim of the New Testament authors, of the people who are writing after Jesus came, as they're looking back at Jesus, they're saying, the God that Jesus came to embody was the God of the Old Testament. And then we need to ask, okay, well, is that God of the Old Testament? What's he like? Is this good news that this God has come to be with us? Because it could be bad news. And God describes himself using five attributes in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And so we're going through each of those and looking at how does that get fulfilled uh, in Jesus. And the word we're looking at today is faithfulness. God overflows with faithfulness. And this is, you know, the word faithfulness and other words around it. I say crystal, yeah. <laughs> that was great faithfulness and other words around it. Crystal has notified me that I move this around a lot. And so now you guys can all watch. You're going to keep me, it's going to be very entertaining for everybody. <laughs> so faithfulness, other words linked to it, faith, believe, belief, beliefs, uh, the Christian faith or trust, all these words are in this cluster of faithfulness. And so I want to throw this question out for you as we're going through today. What would change if you fully trusted God? What would change if you fully trusted God, what would you do if you fully trusted God? I've heard people ask, um, given a question, and they're facing a situation, be like, well, what would you do if you were brave? But So I'm changing that to, what would you do if you fully trusted God? Like, how would that change your actions, uh, situations, relationships? How would, what would you do if you fully trusted God? And so let's first look at what it means for God to overflow with faithfulness. Um, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is on page 74 of the Black Bibles. I'm going to read these two verses we've been going through. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. 
And so we're covering, covering the part at the end of verse 6, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we'll cover verse 7 next week. So the first attribute was compassionate or merciful. The second was gracious. The third was slow to anger. Fourth was overflowing with loyal love. And the fifth now overflowing with faithfulness, which you could say overflowing with dependability or reliability or uh, trustworthiness. And often there's the image of a rock is used in the Bible for God. Um, for instance, Deuteronomy 31.4, the rock, his work, not Dwayne Johnson, the rock referring to, oh wait, Dwayne Johnson, come on, the rock, the wrestler, okay. Not referring to him, Deuteronomy 31.4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And so this uh, image of a rock and a God of faithfulness, that he is strong, consistent, stable, he's not easily move. Nothing moves them. You know, rock, it's like my grandma had this huge rock in her front yard, and we played on that thing, you know, for hours. It never moved, basically never changed. It's just always there, and it's still there. Uh, and so that's the image of a rock for faithfulness. Uh, and then for overflowing or abounding, Psalm 108, 1 through 4. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, I will sing praises to you among the nations. Why? For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And so how can he try to give this image of abounding, overflowing, that your faithfulness reaches to the clouds? That's how big it is. If we were to measure it, it would be that big. And when I was sort of looking at this word, it's the least emotional of the five. All the other five had some aspect of emotion or passion in it. And I was like, faithfulness is kind of, a little boring, actually. Like, when I was thinking of all these attributes, I'm like, faithfulness, like, what is it about this? Like, it just, it, it kind of seems more boring than the others. And you imagine a person who shows up every day on, their, on time, does their job, no drama, nothing going on. Like, that's not a story. Every movie you watch isn't about just watching some person wake up, brush their teeth, every day you go to the work and nothing happening. You're like, when's something going to happen here? When is it going to become a story? And it's, even though it's not much of a story, actually what I realize is we really need that from God. We actually really need the dependability. Like we, and in life we need that, that we need to know things are going to be the same, that when I come to work, that person's going to be there. My stuff is going to be there. I'm going to get my paycheck. We have things that are going to be the same are things that we can trust. And it's a consistency and dependability. You know what you're getting. That creates a safety is like, if somebody is like, I just don't even know what they're going to do. Like they could go off any moment. They could just leave. If he does not show up, there's a lack of safety there. But when we know we can count on someone, there's safety. And that person doesn't create trouble. But when you are in trouble, they're faithful. They're there. You can count on them. They're there for you. And I think of uh, Liam Neeson in Taken. It's like his faithfulness for his daughter who gets taken is like, I'm faithful to my daughter and she's in trouble. And so I... He can be depended on, count on. He's going to go make it happen. He's not causing the trouble, but he's going uh, to her in trouble. And so how do you know you can trust someone? Well, someone could say, you just have to trust me. Uh, or what we were saying before is there might be this, someone becomes proven worthy of trust. There's a proven faithfulness. Psalm 89, 1 through 2 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations that this person has experienced God's proven faithfulness, and now they're going to make it known to all the generations. And so 
God has given us a reason to trust him. It's not blind trust. It's not a leap of faith when there's nothing there. But God has a proven track record. He's given us a reason to trust him, that he is worthy of our trust. He's a trusting, uh, it's trusting him, his character, who he is. And so you can put your faith in a faithful person. You can put your trust in a trustworthy person. They're worthy of your trust. And we can put our faith in God's faithfulness. And so we ask, well, what, what, is God's faith, what does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to put our faith in God's faithfulness? Well, you've maybe heard uh, Hebrews 11 called uh, the Hall of Faith. This is on page, if you want to turn to Hebrews 11, you can. It's on page 1007. Hebrews 11 is a book that, yeah, the, the chapter is called, in my Bible, it's called By Faith. And people have called this the Hall of Faith of all these people who lived by faith. What did it look like for them to trust God, uh, to count on him, to depend on him? And it says, the very first verse, Hebrews 11:1 1, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And so there's an element of something that isn't seen, that you aren't seeing this thing, and that's why trust is uh, needed. And if we go further down into chapter uh, Hebrews 11:6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So drawing near to God, faith pleases God, and faith is seeking God, trusting him, putting our faith, our hope in him. And then just the next verse, Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith, this is just one example of the many people in this chapter, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And so Noah, by faith, builds a boat when it isn't raining. There's not a, the flood is not happening, but he's building a boat. He hasn't seen the flood yet, but God said, build a boat. The flood is coming, and so he's faithful, he believes God, trusts him, builds a boat, even though the flood is not there yet. And so that kind of faith pleases God. And Romans 8, 24 through 25 says something similar. Now hope, using hope instead of faith, hope is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so hope, faith, is there's something that isn't seen yet, but we're trusting that God has said it's going to come about. And so that means that sometimes trusting God or putting our faith in God can look a little foolish. Like, Noah, why are you building a boat? Uh, I don't know if you looked around, we're like in a desert. What are you doing? You're like this, why, why are you doing this? So he looks foolish. And thus putting our hope in something that is not yet seen, of saying, my hope isn't in this world to become all better. My hope is in Jesus coming back to bring this world uh, to, to, to cleanse it, to make it new. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, we're of all people most to be pitied because we're putting our faith in something that isn't seen yet, that we will have new bodies, that Jesus will come back, that will set everything right. And if we're living in accordance with that, it's going to look foolish to people. What are you talking about? It's just today, this world. Put your trust and hope in this world. And a man named Abraham is perhaps, besides Jesus himself, the greatest model of faith uh, in the Bible, of trusting God. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25, it 
It's on page 942 or 941. I'm going to read this about this man named Abraham, Romans chapter 4, 18 through 25. And I'll read these verses that um, describe him. In hope he, referring to Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. God said that to him. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So when Abraham, the promise was, when he was super old, he didn't have a, a son at this point, his wife couldn't, uh, they couldn't conceive, and then God says, guess what, I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to make you into a huge family, and that family eventually becomes the nation of Israel. And, and for Abraham, it's like, yeah, but we've been trying a long time, God. I don't know how long, if you've been paying attention, we've been trying for a long time, we're old, hasn't worked, why would it work now? And so he then God says, I'm going to make it happen. And he trusts God. He hasn't seen it yet, but he believes that what God says is going to happen. He believes his promise. And so for Abraham, it's like, I can't see how this is possible, but I trust you. And it's not only belief in God, like, okay, God exists, he's real. Like, oh, I agree with those facts about God. But it is believing God, trusting God, not just his existence, but actually changing our life and our actions based on that, it's very relational. And what Abraham shows us is even when we can't see a way or a reason why this would come about, we can trust God. He, when he looked at himself, he hoped, what, what did it say? Hope, uh, in hope he believed against hope. And even when he looked at himself, no unbelief made him waver, and he did not weaken his faith when he just looked at himself and looked what could, he thought was possible, but he looked at God who says it was going to happen, it was possible. And so that's what our trusting God looks like. But how... What I really want to focus on for a bit is how God stays faithful when we aren't, because that's what this passage is about. It's God overflows with faithfulness, even when we have a, hardly a drop of it in us. And really the best proof of faithfulness is when we are unfaithful. Is that, is this person going to stick with me? Can I count on them even when I've failed them, even when I've messed up in this relationship? And the whole context of going through the book of Exodus, if you were here for those weeks when we were covering it, we saw how over and over again, Israel, being led out of slavery in Egypt, did not trust God. And they got in the desert and they said, Where's the, we have no water. Are you going to let us die out here, Moses? We have no food. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that we needed to come out here to get buried? And then Pharaoh's army is coming that's chasing him. They, he finally lets him go and the army is chasing him. And they're like, we're going to die. And Moses tells them, Look, just wait and watch your God fight for you and work for you. And then we haven't gotten to this part yet, but when God is leading them to the promised land, the land of Canaan, he's leading them north out of Egypt, and they're about to go in. They're going to cross a river, the Jordan River to go in, and they send out some spies, and they check it out, and they come back, and most of them say, it's too big of a task. These people have crazy, huge, fortified cities. They're giants. They're going to destroy us all. And in that moment, they're not trusting God because God said, I'm going to give it to you. And they're looking at themselves and they're saying, we don't see how this is going to happen. 
then in Exodus 34, the very close context what we're looking at, they've just committed to God. They've, God said, I want you to be my people. I'll be your God. This is what that would look like. Look what I've done for you. You're not going to have any other gods before me. And then he goes through all the Ten Commandments. Like, do you commit to this? They say, yes, we commit to this. Forty days later, they're breaking those commitments. They break their vows to God. And in response to their unfaithfulness, of course, there was God needing to show there's, there's big consequences for this. But in response to their unfaithfulness, he declares these five attributes that we've been reading. In response to their unfaithfulness, he declares, I'm overflowing with faithfulness. I'm abounding with faithfulness. And there's two ways that God can be faithful. So one, it's a warning, is that God will be faithful to bring about the consequences of disobedience that he said he'll bring about. That's God being faithful. It's following through. If you're a parent, you know, like, if I, maybe you wouldn't use the word threat, but like, if I threaten something, I need to follow through. If I'm saying, if you do that, this will happen, and we don't follow through, then kids know, well, I can just, it doesn't really matter what my parents say. I can't, I don't have to trust that they're going to do that because they don't, they don't do it. And so it's a warning uh, on the one hand, and we see that in ver- uh, further on in, in verse 7 when it goes on, God's saying, what's going to happen? And actually, there's a couple words left out here. What we're going to see next week is the full um, context of when these consequences of verse 7 come about is when people hate them. Here's the consequences for hating God. Here's the consequences for loving God. So God says, if you're going to turn from me, verse 7, he's keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And what we'll see in a passage next week is that it continues on uh, for those who love him. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, he says. That's the full uh, thing that's happening there. And so you can count on God. We see in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, they're talking about what has happened to us. He says, you've been, they say, you've been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you've dealt faithfully. We've acted wickedly. And God warns them, I'm going to be faithful to bring these consequences upon you if you turn from me. You can count on that, and that there are going to be consequences. But it's, So it's a warning. God's faithfulness is a warning. But it's also mostly hope that he is faithful to forgive when we turn back to him. That he's committed to us, he's committed to Israel way longer than they deserve. And that if, we, you know, if you turn back to him, he says right there, I'll forgive Iniquity, transgression, sin, those are the three big sin words in the Old Testament. And they had various degrees of meaning. But you could be like, well, he'll forgive sin, but he won't forgive transgression because that's really bad. No, God says, all of it, anything you've done, if you turn to me, I will forgive it. And even saying this forgiveness in it, he knows they're going to fail. He knows they're going to be unfaithful. That's why forgiveness is built into, I'm entering this relationship with you, and I know you're going to fail. But if you continue holding on to me, turning back to me, loving me, like even when I know you're doing it imperfectly, like come to me and I will forgive you. And so it gives hope. And so I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 through 31, where God is saying, uh, basically, I know you're going to turn from me. This is on page 149, if you want to go there. But Deuteronomy 4, 25 through 31, this is God telling him, like, I know you're going to turn from me, but here's what can be possible if you turn back. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon 
utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So he's saying even when you've been unfaithful and you've been so unfaithful for so long that you have experienced the consequences of turning from me, if you seek me out there, I'm still faithful to everything I promised. I've been faithful in disciplining you, and if you turn back to me, I'll bring you back and I will forgive you. 1 John 9, 1 uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 say, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't ever have to wonder, will he forgive me this time? I mean, this is the, the 80th time I've said I'm sorry for this. Is he going to forgive me this time? And the answer is always yes. He says, if you will confess your sins... God is faithful and just to forgive him, them. You can count on him for forgiveness. He's, not, he's dependable. He's consistent. It's not a hopefully he'll forgive me. It's he's faithful and just to forgive us. And the other four attributes we've looked at, why can we count on God to be compassionate or gracious or slow to anger or to overflow with loyal love? Because he's faithful. He said he's going to be that. It's almost like, I don't know if this is the right image or not. It's almost like faithfulness gives backbone to the other four. It's like you know that God is solid in these things. He's going to be faithful to treat you in this way because that's who he is. What he says is true, and he's going to do what he says. And really, the only people that God commits to are people who will fail to stay committed to him because those are the only type of people who exist. <laughs> There's not some people in the world who will be perfectly committed to God, and those are the ones he commits to. No, everybody he commits to is going to fail to be perfectly committed to him. And it's like he's marrying someone knowing they'll cheat on him. He, he marries us knowing, I know you're going to cheat on me. He already knows we're going to break our vows, that we're going to fail. And God is faithful to unfaithful people. He's faithful far more and far longer than we deserve. And Jesus is the ultimate proof of his faithfulness. Where is love? When is love most clearly seen? When is faithfulness most proven? It's when, is it when everything is going well? No, it's proven when everything is a mess, when everything's going wrong, when we have been totally undeserving of it. Now God's faithfulness is really proved when it's when I don't deserve this, when we're completely undeserving of love, but we're given it anyway. And the Bible says it's easy to love people who love you. Like, yeah, you're getting something out of it. What's in it for me? Like, I'm getting something out of it. But God proves his love for us in loving us when we don't love him. He refuses to stop loving people who stopped loving him. And his faithfulness is proven when there's nothing in it for him. He says, I love people and there's nothing in it for me. I'm not getting a return on this. It's just who I am. He just pours it out on us. I want to give you just one last passage. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says this, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you were, I don't know if any of you have served in the military, but you've perhaps at least seen movies, or you would understand this, that a soldier would be willing to die for the soldier next to them, because, well, we're on the same team, and he would do it for me, he or she would do it for me. So you could see that, where you'd be like, yeah, I'm willing to die for them. You could also understand if I would say, like, yeah, I'm willing to die for Katie and my boys. Like, if something was endangering them, I'd be willing to, at least, you know, in theory, say, I'm willing to die for them to keep them safe. And it's because of this relationship we have. But the question is, would you take a bullet for an enemy soldier trying to kill you? We would say, yeah, I'll die for this guy next to me. So we're on the same side and he'd do it for me, would you take a bullet for an enemy soldier trying to kill you? That if you're with this enemy soldier, and you're like, oh no, he's about to die, I don't fall off a cliff or get shot or step, step on a landmine, would you sacrifice yourself to save that person? And that's what God's saying, that it says that while we are ungodly, while we are God's enemies, while we were sinful, that's when God, uh, Jesus, came and died for us. And it says, you know, you might consider dying for a righteous person or a good person. But look, who does God die for? Jesus dies for people who are turned against him, for his enemies. And he proves and demonstrates, shows, displays his love by dying for us. And he really prepays for our unfaithfulness. That it's like, you know, in theory, I would say, yeah, I would lay down my life for Katie if it came between one of us was going to die, I laid my life down. But it's a future thing and it hasn't happened yet. But God has already said, I've already laid down my life for you. I've already died for you. When you were against me, I was for you, living, laying down my life. He prepays for our unfaithfulness. And we could maybe say, well, he says he overflows with faithfulness, but we'll see. No, he's already proven his faithfulness. There's a song in our songbook, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. And it says, look to the cross to see his love forever proved. If we're ever wondering... Does God really love me? Yeah, it's already been proven that he's already laid down his life. So if we consider how to make this personal, I asked at the beginning, what would change if you fully trusted God? What would you do if you had complete trust in him? And you could go into a situation and, or a relationship and ask, what would I do if I fully trusted God in this situation? And James 2.19 says, faith is seen by our actions, that we can say we trust God but we see if we really trust God by what we do, by whether we live out of that trust. Do our actions show it? An example that I find helpful is if Katie and I are like leaving for a trip, you know, to visit family or something, and I'm, you know, at the car, and then she comes out, and we're about to leave. We're not going to go back in the house. And I say, Katie, did you did you lock the door? And if she says yes, then I can say, oh, I, I believe you, and then we leave. But if I say, I believe you, but I'm just going to double check in case. Well, now my actions show, well, I don't really believe her. I don't really trust her. I said I believe you. Like, are you saying that because it's a good idea? You're like, eh, it's a really good idea to check. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but anyway, so you get the picture. Is that If I say, I believe you, but I'm going to double check, well, okay, that means I don't really believe her. That means I really don't trust her. Do I trust her or not? And so we can ask, well, how do we increase our trust? Okay, I'm seeing areas like that maybe I'm not trusting God. Maybe I'm anxious or stressed about this. I know you're good, God, but I'm anxious and stressed about this thing. Or God, I know you have this under control, but I am you know, have this. Or God, I'm really afraid of what that person thinks of me. 
Um, I know that you love me, but and that you accept me, and that that's the most important thing. But I'm really afraid of what they think. We're seeing maybe disconnect. And so, three ways to increase trust. I'm going to give you a practice, a prayer, and a practical tool. Three P's. How exciting is that? I was I was very proud of that. But thanks, Connor. <laughs> so first is practice gratitude. Remember, we gratitude is an exercise of remembering. Because we so often and quickly forget about God. Maybe you'll leave here from today feeling very full. Like, man, God loves me. I can trust him. He's got this under control. In two hours, you could get a really hard call. And all of a sudden, all that peace goes away. And so stepping back, and we quickly, easily forget God. So gratitude, practicing gratitude is remembering. Uh, bringing to awareness his presence and activity in our lives. Of how he's come through for us. We talked about... You know, over time, a proven track record. We see God keeping his promises. Those are ways that we know we can trust him. So practice gratitude. Second, pray for faith. Pray for faith. Did you know you can ask for God to increase your faith? There's a story in the Gospels where a guy comes up to Jesus and he asks him for something. And he says, well, if you believe I can do it, then we're going to do this. And he says, I believe help my unbelief. And so he's recognizing, I, I, I believe it, but also there's a part of me that's struggling with that. And I think, I don't, I think it's, a, it's a gift in the Bible of people given uh, maybe across their life or at various times that we have this complete and total trust that God is going to do X. But often we have kind of these mixed feelings like, God, I trust you. You're good. You see how you love me. I, I know you're, you're looking after me. And I, I believe that and I trust it. I'm really trying to sit in it and, and uh, live that out. But help my unbelief. There's a part of me that's still struggling with it in this situation. And I think that's really encouraging to us that to recognize that God knows that's the case. And we can pray for that. And that's still like we don't have to say, well, I only have faith if I'm 100% certain and sure. And I have not a single shred of doubt in my mind. It's like that's not the case. You can have faith. And you can have unbelief working at the same time. And we're just trying to go more and more deeply into knowing God. Lastly, a practical tool. And this is a tool called the four G's. Uh, they're on the wall right there. Uh, oh, we used to have little cards. But they are, um, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. I know that was too fast for you to write down, um, but you can grab it off, take a picture off the wall. Uh, we also have t-shirts that we're <laughs> putting an order in there on those t-shirts too. But if you have a, I just want you to think about a challenge you're facing. If you're asking, what would I do if I fully trusted God? I just want to go through these four very quickly. So what would I do if I fully trusted God in this challenge I'm facing? Well, I'd let go of control, and I trust his control. That's God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Second, you'd let go of fearing others to trust his approval. That's God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. This situation, I'm afraid of what they think of me. Uh, if I do this, what, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to let go of fearing others to trust his approval. Thirdly, I'm going to let go of satisfaction elsewhere to trust his goodness. I need it to work out this way. This is the only thing that's going to be good for me, but saying, okay, I'm going to look for satisfaction in that. I'm going to let go. I'm going to look for satisfaction in his goodness. Fourth, I'm going to let go of proving myself to trust His grace that I don't have to prove myself to Him or anybody else that He 
knows my flaws. I don't deserve his love. I didn't earn it. I still have it anyway. So I'm going to look go, go up trying to prove myself. And trust requires risk. It's vulnerable because we're letting go of something that we want to get for ourselves. And we're letting go and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with it. But even though there's risk and vulnerability, it's not a blind leap of faith that he's proven he's faithful. He's proven he is worthy of our trust. He's trustworthy. Just in closing, what would this mean for our relationships with each other? Well, it's because God is faithful to us when there's nothing in it for him. So we can be faithful to one another when there's nothing in it for us. And I think one of the things that is destroying the church's witness to the world of a God who has proven his faithfulness to unfaithful people, our witness to that reality is being destroyed by churches, people leaving churches. I'm not thinking of anybody in mind, like I'm not you know, rebuking anybody. I'm just saying as, as a church culture in the United States, we so often quickly leave, ah, that person bothered me, or I don't like that direction they're going, or I don't like this, and we leave and go to another church and take all of that yuckiness with us to another church, and the world is like, you're saying you believe in a God that so loved and was so committed to this world and to you, and that, that you believe that, and yet you, that's not affecting your life in any, in any way. It's not showing your, you're not showing that commitment to one another in how God is committed to you. And so we have this great opportunity to show the world what God's love is like by committing to one another in love and overflowing faithfulness in that things get tough, but then we work it out. We talk to one another. We forgive one another. We bear with one another. We have patience with one another. We love one another as God has loved us. Let's pray. Father, you're so faithful. And yet we so quickly forget it. We so quickly drift away from you. But Lord, would you reassure us of your faithfulness? Would you help us to practice gratitude? Would you help us to come to you in prayer with our faith and our doubt and ask you for more? Would you help us, Lord, to let go of those things we so hold on to instead of to you? In your son's name we pray. Amen.